Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We say often, we don't go to these places to change them. We go there because they change us. And we haven't been able to be back in Brazil since COVID, but we've been partnering with them for 11 years. And we took a team of 20 for eight days, and we got to go back there and just kind of reassess everything that God has been doing. And many of you have no idea what goes on beyond the four walls of this church. And we say we are not defined by these four walls. And so uh, what you don't know is that when you come here and you're part of Genesis, you're part of these things that are bigger than us. Every week in this church, there is Brazilian capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial arts, and they have about 60 kids in the program twice a week. They've got about 60, 40 to 60 young girls in ballet every week. They've got about five different jujitsu classes, Muay Thai classes, all in all through all their sports and arts programs. There's about 270 students and children that come into this church every single week that are discipled, that are told about Jesus, that are fed, some of them their only meal of the day. And most of that happens, honestly, because of your generosity. We take a portion of what you give here and we send it to them every single month. And so we got to see it all being played out again uh, about a week and a half ago and it was beautiful. And then I want you to know if you've been here since uh, 2022 and you were here in December when we do our gift offering, um, we told you that we take our gift offering, which is above and beyond, and we do some bigger things with it to help our ministry partners. And they had told us uh, they needed a new van and I've been there and I've ridden in their van and they need a new van. We've pushed it up hills and, and we've had to walk some places because it breaks down. And when they pulled up to pick us up in that old van, I thought, man, it's time for a new one. And one night they pulled up to pick our group up and I jumped up real quick and I grabbed the door handle and I went to slide it back and the whole door came off in my hands on the side of the road. And so it was like a double-sided coin. And one moment I'm going, oh great, the pastor just ripped the van door (laughs) off. On the other side, I'm going, I just ripped the whole van door off. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes. No, and so uh, literally they're trying to figure out how to put it on so we can put our people back in it and get home on the side of the road. And so I want you to know they had raised themselves about $5,000. And with your generosity, we matched that gift, which is going to enable them to get a brand new van, to pick up these kids for these programs, to pick up the supplies that they take to feed. And so because of your generosity, all of this is made possible. For those of you that have no clue who I am, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor of Genesis Church, and I've had many people go, do you preach anymore? Because I haven't preached in the last month, Um, and that has been strategic, and it has also been because I've been out of the country twice, Um, but we say all the time here, we are a church of pastors, not a church with just a pastor, because it's my prayer and desire that you not put your focus on one person and one personality. You put all of your focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is why we are walking through the word of God, because this is his story, not our story. We are just playing our part as he writes it. And so we have been journeying and adventuring together through the story of God since the beginning of the year. And there are people going, hey, are we going to get to this part, that part, this story, that story? And I tell them, some we will, some we won't. And I think the amazing thing is that we just spent three months in the book of Genesis alone. 
which means we got a lot of ground to cover. But it also means this. There is a lot in just that one book of the Bible that is so foundational for the rest of the story of God. Honestly, it is one of the reasons we named this church Genesis Church because we believe there's so much at the beginning of the way God intended things to be that we want to go back to the starting point and we want to always relearn, be reshaped, rethink life the way he intended. And so this morning, we venture into the next book, Exodus. And we venture into this character named Moses on our road to Easter. And so I'm excited because when you get into the story, there is a common theme. When we were in Brazil, there was a common theme all week. Whether I was in the the homes of some of the church members, whether we had hundreds of ladies gathered around in a Bible study, whether my daughter and her college roommates were speaking to all the students, it seemed that in every single circle we were sitting in, someone was saying these words, God sees you. We are just here to let you know God sees you. Maybe you came to church today. Maybe you're watching online, wherever you're watching from, on whatever platform. And that is what you need to hear today. God sees you. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 says this. God heard their groaning and God remembered. God heard their groaning and God remembered. As we open up the story of Exodus, we have to find out how do we get to this point from Genesis to Exodus and the story of Moses that some of you think you know, that some of you know some things about, that some of you have no idea about, you've never opened up this book. How did we get here? Genesis chapter 47 tells us how the nation of Israel got here. Johnny explained some of that last week and so did Chad the week before. Johnny did a great job. Chad did a great job. It's telling the story of Joseph and how God got his people into Egypt. It says, then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. Remember, Joseph is pretty much the vice president of Egypt. And there's a famine in the land and they've come down because of this famine. And so Joseph tells Pharaoh who they are. And this is what happens. They get, it says, the best land. They get the best land as Pharaoh had commanded. And so here's Pharaoh because he likes Joseph and he has given him this place, this platform. He says, listen, if this is your family, give them the best land. And that's my command. And so it tells us that the 70 sons and daughters of Jacob came down to Egypt. And what we begin to realize when we open up the book of Exodus is that there is a sharp turn. There there is a change in the story. It tells us in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, now a new king rose up, and this king did not know Joseph. When you hear this verse alone, you have to understand this is a very important verse to the nation of Israel. Why is this an important verse to the nation of Israel? Because how does a Pharaoh rise up, a new king, and not know Joseph? How does he not know the guy who saved all of Egypt from a famine and all these Israelites in his own land? Because someone decided not to tell the story any longer. How many times in our own family heritage, our own country and nation right now, do we just say, hey, leave the history behind us. We're just moving forward. 
And whenever you do that, you are just a few steps away from forgetting what was done before you. And therefore, you have no gratitude, no thankfulness, no understanding, whether good or bad, how you got to where you are. And so already we have a gratitude problem. We have a history problem. And no one even knows who Joseph is. And so this new king, this new Pharaoh, he says to his people in verse 9, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, and they're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Now, just park right there for a second and think about this new Pharaoh and this new king. He's looking at them, and he says, hey, let us deal shrewdly with these people, lest they multiply. Why? And if war breaks out, if is the key word here, they join our enemies and fight against us, and escape from the land. Now, when we open up the text, guess what? There's no war going on. There's no battle happening. There's no confrontation happening. There's no conflict. This Pharaoh is sitting on his throne in his palace, and all of a sudden, all his own insecurities begin to rise up inside of him. All his own fears begin to to, to, to rise up inside of him. And he begins to assume if war happens... There will be so many of them, they will overtake us and they will flee and they will be gone from our land and they may take us or take our people and all our possessions. I don't know. He's fumbling in this. And while you are not Pharaoh sitting on a throne in a palace, how many times do you sit at home and you begin to assume things about people with your own insecurities and your own fears and you begin to assume these things and think these things. Well, what if this? What if that? I've seen this on social media. I've seen them doing that. What if? What if? What if? What if? And his insecurities and his fears become so great that he begins to act on them. Because that's what we often do. We let all these assumptions flood our minds to the point that we begin to respond and act as if they've already taken place and yet we've created them internally in ourselves. That's what this Pharaoh and this king is doing who does not even know who Joseph is and how these people got there. So he has three plans. Bet you didn't realize that. Three plans to stop it. First plan is this, verse 11. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. He said, okay, I am going to oppress you with heavy, heavy work. Why would he do that? He thought that if I did this and I oppressed them, this would stop. But what does the scripture say? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. So Pharaoh says, I'll put you to work, the men, all day. Heavy, heavy, heavy work. You'll work all day long for me. And that will stop. That will stop you guys from multiplying. But they'd go home, and it didn't stop. They're men. Men are wired a certain way. I would ask, what were the Israelite women like? All right? What's in the water? Because he's thinking, listen, they will go home so exhausted. (laughs) We have a marriage conference happening in a few months from now from all the comments that are flying around. Welcome to Genesis Church, everybody. I haven't been back in a month, so therefore, who knows where this might end. 
And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So get this. Now it's not just Pharaoh. Now it's all the Egyptians. What he has assumed and created in his own insecurity, he has not just acted upon, he has obviously been able to speak, and now it has been infiltrating all of Egypt, and now the Egyptians themselves dread Israel. Because what we do with our insecurities is we act upon them, we speak them out, and we gather people into them all the time. So it says in verse 13, that he ruthlessly made them slaves, made them work as slaves. That was plan number one. Wasn't working out so well for him. So plan number two, verse 15. Then the king said to, the Egypt, to Egypt, said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. Don't name your daughters that. <laughs> when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. So he said, okay, I want to stop this. So I need all the Hebrew midwives to come in, and this is your command. When the woman is giving birth, and she is giving birth on the birth stool, when it comes out, if it is a male, I want you to kill it immediately. If it's a girl, you can let it live. Which means inevitably they were covering up, they were lying, they were, they were saying, hey, it was a stillborn death, this baby came out dead, Right? It's not alive. It's not, it's not going to live. So this is what I want to see happen. I want to stop them from multiplying. I'm going to take them. Listen, there's so much I would love to park on right here. I can't. So we have a post-Sunday podcast that we record every Monday. Tune in this week. There's so much to unpack here. Look at what happens with plan number two. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. Here's the key. First of all, they feared God. This is the first moment where we see the women going, listen, we are not afraid of this king. We are afraid of this king. And all of our decisions and all of our actions and everything that we are going to do, even if our lives are at stake, are to be obedient to the king, the true king. And so they come to him, they say, listen, the Israelite women, as we said, there's something in the water. The, 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 the babies, they come out so fast before we can get there as the midwives and respond, they've already had their babies. Plan number two, not going as he wanted. Plan number three, he says this, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, not just the taskmasters, not just the midwives. Now he comes to everybody, he says, this is the command." Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Okay, I'm going to figure out how to eradicate these people to stop them from existing and multiplying. Take every son and toss them into the Nile. Do away with them. Discard them. When we get to the plagues in a few weeks, maybe you'll begin to understand the very first plague that God chooses to come against Pharaoh with. So we've got this story. How did Israel get to Egypt and this Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph now is looking at the nation of Israel and he is forcing them into slavery. He is trying to kill off all the male sons. This is a, 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 a prophecy that, that God told Abraham. He said, your people will end up in a land not their own and they will be forced into slavery, oppression. It's all playing out the story we've been studying. And we enter Exodus chapter 2. 
In Exodus chapter 2, we begin to be introduced to this character, this man, Moses. It opens up this way in verse 1. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. You know what's beautiful about this passage for a bunch of us is this. You don't get anybody's name. Go back, please, for just a second. There we go. You don't get his name or her name. You don't get their title or position. You don't get if they're wealthy or poor. They're just ordinary people that God is about to do something extraordinary through. And for the many of you that feel like you are ordinary and there is nothing extraordinary about you, you must understand that the extraordinary only happens when God works through you. It's no different than people saying, well, this is just an ordinary place until God shows up, then it becomes extraordinary. That's the difference when God steps in and God intervenes. And God was intervening in this story for all of his chosen people. And verse 3 It says this, we we learn at the end of verse two that she sees the baby and she hides him for three months because of Pharaoh's command. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket, underline that, circle that if you're taking notes, we're getting ready to talk about that, made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she placed the child in the basket among the riverbank and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And so here's this story of his parents. She hides him for three months. She realizes, listen, I can't hide him any longer. And so she makes a basket and and she she puts this pitch around it to hold it together. And then she takes his sister, Miriam, Moses' sister, and she says, I want you to watch this as far as you possibly can. What's interesting in the story, which takes us to all different stories, is what the text is actually teaching us and showing us. This word for basket in the Hebrew language is the word And whenever you're looking into the text and into the story, one of the questions you want to ask yourself is, where does this show up again? Where have I read this? Where have I studied this? Is there some type of connection that God would want me to see in this story from a different story? Where could I find this word teba for basket? You've already heard it. Genesis chapter 6. God tells Noah, make for yourself an ark. It's actually the same word. Teba, a basket, it's just bigger, of gopher wood, and make rooms in it and cover it inside and out with what? Pitch, the exact same thing. It's as if God is saying already in this story, remember Noah and remember my love and my care for my creation that I would put Noah inside this basket and I would preserve humanity on the planet. I would redeem humankind through Noah. I'm getting ready to do the same thing with Moses. As a matter of fact, some of you need to know that God is often preserving and protecting those he's preparing. This whole story has to do with the fact that God is saying, listen, I am preserving and protecting this person that I'm preparing to be the rescuer for the nation of Israel. Some of you need to understand that God is preserving and protecting you for what he's preparing. You may not see it now. You may not understand it now. You may be fighting with God over it. And God's saying, listen, you don't understand what I'm up to. My way is better than your way. I'm preserving and protecting you because I'm preparing you for something you don't know yet. 
And so for those of you right now that are going, I wanted that job and it didn't happen. I wanted that title in my company. I wanted that door to open. I wanted this relationship to work, and it didn't. It may not be that God is saying no to you. It may just be saying, I'm protecting and preserving you because I'm preparing you. And God is doing this for Moses because of what's going to unfold later in the story. His third plan was to throw all the babies in the Nile, all the male babies, so that they would die. Exodus 2 verse 5 says, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at that river. And while her young women walked beside the river, this is what happened. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And it says the baby was crying And she takes pity on him because that's a mother's instinct, right? It's that nurturing, caring piece inside of a woman that God wired inside of you from the beginning of creation. She says, this is one of the Hebrew children. This is Pharaoh's daughter. She knows the command. She knows, just like the Hebrew wives, anybody doesn't carry it out, he can kill if he wants he, he can put them away. He can do whatever he wants for not obeying him. His very own daughter is part of the protecting and the preserving for what God is preparing. Three plans by Pharaoh. Three plans to stop the nation of Israel, to stop God's story and promise to Abraham. And God uses three women groups. All the women should say, Amen. Right? The midwives, his mother, and Pharaoh's own daughter. God's way is better than your way. God knows what he's doing. God always fulfills his promise. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, we meet Moses, and Moses is now grown up in the palace under Pharaoh's care, under the daughter of Pharaoh. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, And he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. It's amazing because the text tells us that he knows who he is. Even though he's grown up in Egypt, even though he's been in Pharaoh's palace, even though he's been raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he knows who he is, and he knows who his people are. And it says he goes out and he sees their burdens. Why is this important? The text tells us that, God, that Moses saw and God heard. Why is that important for us? Because God is going to choose to not just prepare Moses, but partner with Moses. And for him to partner with Moses and prepare Moses for the task he's going to send him for, the purpose he has for him, Moses has to also see. Moses has to be aware of what God has been hearing. It is both together that God is wanting Moses to understand. He says, I need you to see it, but I've been hearing it, and I've been listening to it, and I've been remembering it, and I know what it's going to take. And so while I've been preserving and protecting you for this purpose, I'm also going to choose to partner and have you play this out with me. 
out of all the noise on the earth, God hears their cries. Think about that. Out of all the noise on the earth, God hears their cry, and he's going to choose Moses to be their answer. When you look inside of this story, you have to pay attention to a few details. Detail number one is this. We know they're slaves. We know they're oppressed. We know that this is part of their groaning. But God begins to work in a supernatural way when Pharaoh starts to deliver his second and third plan. It's as if God begins to say, listen, I know what you've been going through. I know what you've been facing. But that command to kill innocent lives, now I'm going to respond. Because he is the author and the creator of life. And the God who created life and purposed people into existence will not stand for nor sit back and watch innocent lives killed. This is when God begins to respond. This is when the story begins to take shape. Yes, they were oppressed in slavery. Yes, they were growing out because of the oppression. But we learn in later chapters and in other books that Moses wrote, there's a point where they are freed and all of a sudden they start saying things like, we'd rather be back in Egypt. Wait, I thought that that's where you were crying out for. Yes, they were crying out because of the oppression, but they are crying out because lives, innocent lives were being taken. God listens to those cries and he's listening for those cries from some of us. For us to understand the sanctity from the author and creator of life that he gives to innocent lives. There's another perspective in the story. Guess who's the only Hebrew not crying out, moaning and groaning? Moses. Why would he be? Text never tells us why. Because he's in Pharaoh's palace. He's living a good life. He's not out there having to work hard. He's probably over some of the taskmasters that are, that are heavy, uh, heavily oppressing his people. But God chooses him to be the answer. God hears their cry, and God chooses Moses to be the answer. God could have supernaturally become the answer, couldn't he? We see him supernaturally work in this story. If you don't know it, you're going to find out. If you know it, with the plagues, with the parting of the Red Sea, with all the other things, we see God supernaturally work. He could have just said, enough is enough, I'm working. But he says, hey, I hear their cries, and I choose you, Moses, to be the answer to their cry. Maybe the right perspective is this. God doesn't give you a purpose for someone else to carry. Those of you that are looking for a purpose in life, and meaning in life, and and something of significance. God's saying, listen, I'm giving you a purpose for you to carry. You would be amazed at how many people come to me and they say, Pastor Tim, God has given me this idea, this dream, this vision for the church to do this. And I'll say, that is fabulous. We've always wanted to do that. So when are you going to start? And they will go, oh, not me. I'm too too busy. I can't put another thing on my plate. I just heard a message from God that you're supposed to go do. And I thought you ought to know about it. Or someone else in the church needs to carry out. 
God does not give you a purpose someone else is supposed to carry. The reason he puts it in you is because you're the one supposed to step forward. This is how you find your purpose and your significance in God. When we used to live uh, back in Atlanta during Hurricane Katrina, uh, my wife, through some channels of communication, I think through Facebook, she found out that a lot of the people that had been displaced because of the hurricane had made their way up to Atlanta and they had nothing. They were staying in apartment complexes and when we went in, they literally had a pillow and sheet on the ground, nothing, no furniture, nothing with them. They lost everything in the devastating hurricane. And so she came and she said, listen, I think that we should collect some stuff and try to help out a few families. And next thing you know, it started snowballing and and other families got involved and and more families got involved. And next thing you know, daily we're making deliveries to these apartment complexes and and other places to give these people just some things that they need, beds and, and things like that, so that they have a place to say some clothes because they lost everything. And I remember our pastor coming to me going, listen, one breath, I was like, why didn't you bring this to the church? On the other breath, I'm sitting here going, man, this thing is beautiful because it's just happening and we didn't have to. Because God had placed it inside of her and it was her role, her thing that God had given her to start carrying out. Some of you, God is calling up. He's been preserving and protecting and preparing you for you to step out and you're thinking someone else is supposed to be the answer. And yet God's saying, no, I'm hearing the cry of someone and I've birthed it in you so that you can go be the answer. That's the amazing part of the story in Moses. Is that we begin to learn that God partners with him and he doesn't just want Moses' mouth, he wants Moses' participation. A lot of us, were really good at, at the spiritual words we say the right things, we talk about the right things, we say things the right way, it makes us sound good, it makes us sound godly, it makes us sound like we, we, we know all this stuff, but we're really bad at the participation. We got a whole lot to say about the church, about the body of Christ, about how it should be, how it shouldn't be, what songs we should sing, what songs we shouldn't sing, where should we should go, how, how are you going to move church from here to East River for Easter Sunday, what are we doing, but no participation. God says, I don't just want your words, Moses, and you'll find out in Exodus chapter three, I want your whole life to be a part of this. And I've been preserving and protecting you to prepare you for this moment. When we were in Brazil, we went inside the home of a 20-year-old girl named Leticia. And she began to tell her story through our interpreter that at 20 years old, she has a nine-month-old son. The dad's in prison. She almost got locked up because she was with him. Just a few days prior, the wiring in her 12 by 12 shack had burned up, had almost burned the whole shack to the ground with her and her baby inside. She has a little teeny kerosene stove to cook food for her and her baby on, and and she, she has no kerosene, and she has no electricity, so when nighttime comes, it's pitch black inside that 12 by 12 shack. And you saw in the video a few days prior, the rains had come and how the rains just come through the favelas. The favelas are the slums, the, 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 the place of extreme poverty, not just poverty as we know it, extreme poverty. There, there are many Brazilians that I've met that have never even traveled into favelas because of the poverty and the things that go on inside of there, the people. And you think about this 20-year-old mom 
No electricity, no way to cook for her and her baby. When the waters come through, they come gushing through, and my heart is breaking. I'm going, we got to do something. Now that I've seen what she's up against, we have to do something. And so I lean over to my daughter, and I say, listen, when we leave here, I want you to think about, my daughter's in college, what you want to do to respond to help this mom. I came back to her, and she said, I want to buy her groceries. I want to do this. And so through channels of communication, we found out, because we're Americans, right? And we don't really realize how good we have it and how plush we like to live. Before the trip happened, we said, listen, it's summertime. We'd like to send money, and we'd like you to install air conditioners in the rooms we'll be sleeping in because we need our air conditioning if we're to come to your country, right? Because that's the way we think as Americans. And the pastor said, you know, when we, we installed the air conditioning units, there's a bunch of wiring left over and it's really expensive. We could give her the wiring. And so he goes and he gets this, this bundle of just loose wiring and, and a guy comes and takes it and he takes it back and he begins to take this loose wiring and rewire so that she would have electricity that night for her baby. The scraps of, of our air conditioning units. My daughter said, Dad, I want to go to the grocery store. And so she bought groceries in a crate for about three weeks worth of groceries, as much as we could carry in this crate in, into the favela. And it cost 32 U.S. dollars to feed her and her son for three weeks straight. And I remember standing inside of there and watching them pray over her at the very end as they're praying over her and they're praying for her. They're saying this, God sees you. God cares about you. God is the one providing for you. And when we were done, she, she leans back and with tears in her eyes, she's just saying, amen, amen, amen. For whatever reason, she needed us to, to step into that place for that moment and to say those words, God sees you. God's been listening to you. And for whatever reason, not because we're, we're the Americans, for whatever reason, God said, listen, I'm going to take you while you're here and I'm going to place you inside of her house so that you will be the answer. I'm going to partner with you because that's how I want to do my work. God wants to partner with us. Exodus 2 verse 23 ends this way. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. Some of you need to hear that God hears you right now in your groaning. You're at home when no one's around and you're crying out and you're groaning in your circumstance and God hears it. And God remembered, what did he remember? What we've been learning for the last three months, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, what I promised in Genesis 3, that I promised to Abraham to fulfill the blessing to the world we will celebrate at Easter. He said, I remember that. I haven't forgot that, even in your circumstance, because my plan and my promise will never be forgotten. I will do what I promised to do. And so you need to know that God hears God remembers you. It says, and then God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And some of you, like that girl in that favela, need to hear God sees you right now. And God knows. God knows what you're going through. 
God knows what you're facing. God knows what you're up against. And God knows what it's going to take. There are those that are crying out and groaning today. And then there's a second person. You're the one God has been preserving and preparing, protecting for a purpose. What if the ultimate question as we open up the story is this? What plea is God hearing from someone else, not you, that he's actually wanting you to be the answer for? Because it's really easy to be the one crying out to God for everything you need. It's a whole lot more difficult to let God hear the cry of someone else and say, you're the answer I'm going to send. And I will tell you with everything that I got in the culture that we live in, just like Moses had to walk out and see what was happening with his people, as followers of Jesus, we are to walk out and see the brokenness of our world. And you cannot see the brokenness around you when you live your life like this. Everywhere you go, every line you stand in, every time you wait, there is a whole world happening around you. There is brokenness. There are people in need. There are people going through a circumstance. And the enemy would love to keep your eyes off of that. And God is saying, I want your eyes up and I want your eyes out. I want you to see because I'm going to partner with you. I've been protecting you. I've been preserving you. I've been preparing you for the purpose in you. And when that person cries, I'm going to partner with you to go be their answer. God sees you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. And he wants you to come partner with him with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you showed up online today or you showed up in house and you have been crying out from the depths of your soul through something, today hear the words of God. He listens. He hears. He sees whatever it is you're going through. But for the most of us in this place, we have to get to a point where God hears the cries of someone and we're ready to be the answer that he wants to partner with. And so maybe your simple prayer today is something we started praying when we understood the story of Abraham. Here I am. I'm at your service. Here I am, God. I don't know who's crying out at work. I don't know who's crying out at school. I don't know who's crying out in my neighborhood, on the ball field, in a favela in Brazil, in the Bahamas, in Germany, in Scotland. I don't know who's crying out that you're listening to, God, but I'm letting you know, here am I. Whatever I got is yours. Partner with me. I want that purpose in life. God, today, May we have that type of heart. May we, be, may we be willing to respond to that call. God, deep inside of us, would you begin to transform us? We like to cry out. We're not always good with being the answer to someone else's cry. And in Moses' life, you are protecting and preserving him. And there are people today that have been wrestling with you because they are not getting their way. And maybe they need to know you're protecting and preserving for what you're preparing in them. God, we want to be a place filled with people you partner with 
to be the answer to the cries of our city and this world. And so we simply respond today with, here I am, I'm at your service.